January 6, 2021. We know the events. We've seen the footage. We saw smoke, bear spray, sledgehammers, bats, mace, hockey sticks, stun guns, fire extinguishers, and gallows used as weapons to force a way past barricades, glass doors, and police into the capital of the United States. Also seen were an abundance of flags and symbols, such as the Confederate 28th Virginia battle flag, the Betsy Ross flag, the Gadsden flag, with the phrase, don't tread on me, the Keck flag, which was appropriated by the far right on 4chan and was also seen at the Capitol. Users created the flag for their fake country, Kekistan, where things like political correctness is mocked and forbidden. It bears a striking similarity to the Nazi war flag. And among all these symbols and weapons, crosses and other religious symbols, flags like the Deus Volt, which means God wills it, and the Deus Volt cross were not only used during the Crusades, it was seen in the crowd that day. I'm Chris. I'm Tim. And I'm Harley. And this is the Deconstruction Series. Welcome to the Always More podcast, where we believe there's always more room at the table for honest questions, meaningful conversations, and deeper understandings. Today, we are continuing our series by talking about a complex and dangerous subject, politics. More daunting than that, we are going to discuss the recent rise of religion mixed with politics and how it's been spurred by accusations and fears and has accumulated into events like the January 6th insurrection. While we discussed nationalism in part six of this series last year, we really didn't go into depth about how like religion has become entwined with American politics. While there is much debate and deliberation as to how much of a threat can Christian nationalism can be on the country itself, there is no denying that it has played a huge part in how we view the institution and Christians today. From Richard Rohr, there's no such thing as a non-political Christianity. To refuse to critique the system of the status quo is to fully support it which is a political act well disguised. Like Pilate, many Christians choose to wash their hands in front of the crowd and declare themselves innocent and saying with them, it is your concern. Pilate maintains his purity and Jesus pays the price. Going somewhere good means having to go through and with the bad and being unable to hold ourselves above it or apart from it. There is no pedestal of perfect purity to stand on and striving for it is an ego game anyway. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Richard Rohr, man. Richard Rohr. He's one of my favorites. He's a good dude. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's let's go ahead and establish some ground rules and definitions to keep in the back of the mind before we start this. Uh, recognize some common thoughts that some people are probably going to have through this episode. Same way we start every episode yeah. on this particular topic. Um, let's start with fiscal conservatism. While there is no outright definition as it has many parts in the political and sociological aspects of America, here are some of the general ideas from Caroline Nitara at study.com. Uh, she says, in political terms, conservatism refers to political concepts that promote small businesses, private ownership, and traditional models. 
fiscal conservatism definition refers to the belief that resources should be well allocated with no government involvement. Fiscal conservatives believe that people and businesses can work independently of the government and meet their clients' needs instead of responding to the government's directives. There you go. Uh, Christian nationalism. This is from Paul D. Miller at ChristianityToday.com. Christian nationalism is the belief that the American nation is defined by Christianity and that the government should take active steps to keep it that way. Popularly, Christian nationalists assert that America is and must remain a Christian nation, not merely as an observation about American history, but as a prescriptive program for what America must continue to be in the future. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> We're just diving into this today, aren't we? <laughs> it's going to be an episode. It's going to be an episode. All right. Um, so one more time, we did this last year as well. We're not anti-America. We, again, want to put that out there uh, just because we want change. Yeah. That's not why I'm anti-America. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, America was built for change. It was established in our very constitution and the entire Bill of Rights. Yeah. Like the whole point behind the Bill of Rights was, hey, this isn't right. We should change it. Yeah. So. I mean, even even its founding was built on compromises. Like the, the southern states wouldn't get involved unless certain promises were kept. And that involved slavery. Yeah. Even though all men are created equal. <laughs> yeah. Slaves aren't men, apparently. We want to look at the times we are in and make informed, accurate decisions that will better everyone. That's kind of the whole point behind everything that America is supposed to stand for. Obviously, yeah. not what it has been standing for lately. Uh, that's just kind of where where we want to make sure we're focusing today. Yeah, it, it's this mindset that if you want to change things, that means you're against something, yeah. and that's not that's not how life works. You, you, you're supposed to change. You, you don't want to be the same throughout your entire life. Otherwise, you don't grow. Mm. Um, it, it, it is mind... To, to assume... There, there's a hubris in it. To assume that the Founding Fathers set up everything perfectly is not only a false notion today, but it was a false notion back then. Like back they, then. <laughs> they, they didn't think they had it all understood, which is why yeah. they set up the Constitution the way it was. It could have been a very closed document that was not open to change, but they didn't set it up that way. Yeah. yeah. I think that's one of the things that uh, James Baldwin was talking about a long time ago. So, um, his, in his Notes of a Native Son, James Baldwin said, I love America more than any country in this world. And exactly for this reason, I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. Mm. Yeah. So that's kind of what we're doing. It's because we love America. We're right. criticizing where she's going, where she's been. Yeah. Trying to find a better way to do that. Yeah. yeah. Indeed. Uh, let's let's look at this one here. America was founded as a Christian nation. <laughs> Even if that were true. Which it's not. So what? Where has that gotten us? Mm-hmm. We started off with slavery. I think I mentioned in the last time we talked about this in part six. We didn't have, like, full voting rights for everyone until, like, I mean, even sort of the 1970s. That was, like, only 5% of the nation even could vote. Right. And only, like, 1% of them did. Yeah. It started with mm-hmm. white male-owning. Uh, land-owning. Yeah, land-owning males. And then it slowly evolved to, what was the next thing? Native American. What was Native Americans? It was a while. Oh, Native Americans were, like, the last ones. Was it? Yeah. yeah, it was uh, white landowning males and then just white males. Right. And then eventually um, black people. Black males. Black males, then uh, women, 
and subsequently black women because they had right. to. Not because they wanted to allow them, but because they had to. Yeah. Um, and then I believe Native Americans were the last one, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And then it wasn't actually actually done that way until civil rights. Yeah, until like recently. Like in the last hundred years, it started becoming a thing. Like even if we were established as a Christian nation, we were not a very good Christian nation. No, no, no. <laughs> not well, even close. Yeah, yeah, no, we, I think we were a great Christian nation based on what Christianity is today. Uh, we were an awful Christ-following nation. There that's you go. For sure. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. I don't have anything else to say with that because we're gonna we're gonna dive into it later. But yeah. it's just an interesting quote that I thought could reflect on f- before we get started. Oh no, that <laughs> look that is like the. If number you wanted one. a sneak peek, yeah. What, what today's gonna be like? That's like the number one thing I hear is like, well, you know, America's a Christian nation, and we need to make sure that Christians are running it and Christians are writing laws, and we need to be following the Bible. Like, first of all, no. Yeah. Like, it, it wasn't established as a Christian nation. It was established as a nation for religious freedom. Right. Freedom from and for religion, not just for Christians to do whatever they want. Like, the whole reason it was founded is because people didn't like the way the church was running England, so they left. Yeah. And they started colonies here in the States. But even then, that was a very small minority of those that did come over. Like, and even then, that was a certain branch of Christianity that did not was not the prominent part of Christianity yeah. uh, in the Americas by not, the time of the American Revolution. Not even the first colony established. Right, right. It was like the second or third, because Jamestown was 1607, and that colony was Plymouth in uh, 1620. Yeah. I think Mr. Pierce would be proud. <laughs> And I can still do that 13 Originals Colony quiz, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Can you do all 50? <laughs> all 50 states? Yeah. Yeah. Lastly, capitalism is God's economic system. Is it? Is it really? Is it really? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize we had an economic system in, in heaven and all that Pretty sure stuff. the streets are made out of gold. And <laughs> just, you know, whatever. It's remarkable how people just don't open their Bibles and just look at what was around. Like, people were poor. (laughs) What do you mean? Well, Jesus asked constantly for rich people to give their wealth away. He said a rich man, it's harder for them to enter the eye of a needle than to enter the kingdom of heaven, which is a pretty strong statement if you think about it. Also, I've heard some, like, really bad shit, like, people trying to, people trying to, like, justify that. They're like, well, you know, in Egypt, there was this place called the Needle's Eye that a camel had to go. Oh. No. No, I've heard. That, that's not even close to true. No. Yeah, you're Dan just, McClellan talked about that. You're just making shit up. Yeah. Like, <laughs> to justify <laughs> your selfishness, your greed. You just look at the overall abundance, uh, abundant character of the Bible and what it's showing. Because you have things like the Jubilee, which is like, what, every seven years you get rid of Literally all every debts? Seven years. And it's not seven years from the incursion of debt. It's every seven years. So if you take out a loan, like, in year six, oh, after yeah. that first year, like, it's, it's done. It's gone. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that remarkable? What a dream. Did you ever learn about that <laughs> no. in church? No. That's my fault, I guess. Um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you have the church in Acts, which basically they sold their possessions just to feed their community and yep. to let them survive. Everybody. They all sold their stuff. They all gathered all the money together, and then they all went out, and they were like, all right, everybody gets food. Everybody gets a place to live. Everybody gets everything. Yeah. We all share. Yeah. Guys, this is not a system in which – I mean, granted, I don't think that any of these systems actually existed on paper back then, but – if you look at the character of God through the scriptures regarding wealth and regarding society, it's it's not the capitalism. Mm-mm. It's not that. 
the only time I would think God is pro-capitalism is after the Israelites conquered another tribe and they went in and stole everything. Right. Yeah. It's like yeah. plunders of war. Right. Uh, which, again, I'm, I'm not really sure that was good. I think the problem is people assume that there's this false notion that capitalism equals complete freedom, which it doesn't. Yeah. But there's this notion that God is for freedom, which is true. But th- the idea is that capitalism equals the most uh, amount of freedom. And that's not always true, especially when you involve rich people. And that's what capitalism does. It boosts rich people. And so that leads to problems, which we'll kind of get to in a minute with some mm-hmm. stats. But, um, yeah. So, no, I, I think I think that's a false notion that was definitely propagated in the 50s and 60s because of anti-communism rhetoric Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's also one of my favorite things somebody was like you know nazis were socialists you know like (laughs) i I understand they're the national socialist party but let me present to you the democratic republic of north korea (laughs) like do you do you really think in china (laughs) do you really think north korea is a democratic republic (laughs) because i promise you they're not (laughs) i promise you nazi germany was not actually socialist yeah yeah sounded good (sighs) that's all we have chris right for the intro, yeah, I think that's that's plenty of uh, definitions and common rebuttals. So let's uh, let's go ahead and take a quick break, <laughs> and then we will get back into it with our main segment. Let's do it. Welcome back from our brief break after our brief intro. Yeah. We're trying to keep that brief because this main segment is going to get me real heated real it's, quick. It's going to get a little lengthy. Yeah. <laughs> let's stick around. It'll be fun. Yeah. All right. Um, let's go ahead and just start off with some statistics. All right. You know me. I like me some stats. Do you know how many minimum wage hours it takes to make rent? Yes. Well, let's 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 go back in time here and let's go by decade. 1950. It took 56 hours. Which think about that today. That's a week and a change. Mm-hmm. That's per month, right? Yeah, yeah. Not per week. Oh. It took a month. 56 hours per month. That's a week and a like 2 days. Yeah. By today's standard. For a full 40-hour work week. It took 56 hours to make rent. Per month. Are you kidding me? <laughs> 1960, no. 71. 1970, 67. Went back, you know, it went high, then went back low. 1980, 78.4. You know, it, it's going up a little bit, but times change, I guess. 1990, 117. Oh. 2000, 116. Oh, it goes down a little bit. 2005, 134.8. 2010, 111. 2015, 127. 2020, 100. In 52.3 hours. That's how long it takes. That's how many hours it takes for minimum wage to earn rent. You know, I saw like a graph that somebody had done, and it was, it was like a lot of different things, like how the minimum wage versus This is probably the guy on or, TikTok? Yeah. Yeah. It was like minimum wage versus rent or uh, cost of a vehicle versus the minimum wage or any of that stuff. And like... All of it started in the 1980s. Yeah. 
Oh, no, homo. Bro, you're getting ahead of me, man. (laughs) You're getting ahead of me, man. Okay, first off, he's talking about Nick Powers, which is where I did get this data from. I was going to reference him later, but you beat me to it. Yeah. Uh, Nick Powers. Okay, so here's the thing that he actually talks about. Okay, but what about monthly median wage? Because no one has minimum wage. Who earns that? So here's a familiar trend. 1950, it took 15.19% of your... Uh, of your wages to earn rent. In 1960, 15.21, 1970, 13.13, 1980, 13.87, 1990, 9.3, 2011, 2005, 13, 2010, 16, 2015, 17, 2020, 19.62%. It's a similar trend. Now, here's what's very interesting here. In the 90s is when taxes were at their lowest, or excuse me, at their highest, was at their highest. And yet, if you look here on the graphs, both on the median wage and in, in the uh, average, you have 9.3. It had the lowest amount it took to pay rent, even when taxes were high. Hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? It's almost like taxes kind of affect everything else that you pay for. It, it kind of like it helps pay for things that you would mm-hmm. need to pay for anyways. Yeah. Mm. The stats are similar when it comes to buying a house, a car, and even movie tickets. It it, it, it brings up, goes up a little bit, but then as time goes on, it just skyrockets. Um, so as time goes on and on, as taxes become less and less on corporations, it becomes harder for average Americans to just live. Mm. So here's a fun stat. The worst tax bracket you could pay in the U.S. history was during World War II at 94% for corporations of people making over $200,000. 94%. That's how much they were taxed. Damn. In all the 70s, it only went up as high as 70% uh, percent for those earning over 200000 Today, the max you can get taxed is 37%. Why? Now, compare that to the numbers that I just talked about where how things are harder to pay for, rent's harder to pay for, with median wage, with minimum wage, all these different things. There is a trend that we see over time where things are becoming less and less affordable. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Feels like it's just going to get worse. <laughs> let's talk about that. I mean, it it has been getting worse since the country was founded. <laughs> I remember watching an episode of Little House on the Prairie. What? <laughs> Don't judge me. <laughs> and this girl was like the, the spoiled rich brat of the town. With the blonde hair? Yeah. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And she... <laughs> <laughs> no, I used to watch it too. My mom used to watch obviously. all the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. But she was bragging one day. She was like, I just got a new dress from town and it costs five dollars. And everybody's <laughs> like, Oh my God, that's a house. How are you affording this dress? And I'm like, Oh my God, I would kill to pay five dollars for a house. Yeah. Yeah. So yep. just kinda reminding me of that. Back in the, the good day. Old, the good old days. So back, we're, we're, we're really weren't that good. Back when America was great. For white people. For white people. So we're dividing this into three sections, right? Yeah. What are we what are we doing? So we're going to do fiscal conservatism first. Let's just start there. Okay, let's do it. Um, So I I have a few views on these, and as you know, I'm not very organized with my notes and everything. So I literally just put in bullet points, and I'm like, yeah, let's talk about this, and let's talk about that. Uh, So my first one is that it's something that I have recently come to realize as as an adult, but I used to be this guy. 
you know, I'm fiscally conservative, but socially liberal. Libertarian kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. it happens. You know, it's all a cycle when you deconstruct. <laughs> um, but I've come to realize lately that you cannot be fiscally conservative and socially liberal in a capitalist society. Yeah. Money runs everything. So wherever you put your money is where your values are. Mm. Mm. If you are thinking, well, you know, I'm going to say that... I feel like all people should have the right to healthcare and all people should eat and all people should have the right to housing because I'm socially liberal, but I also don't want to put my money into those programs. Right. You really, you're not backing up what you're saying. You're being very hypocritical. Yeah. You're kind of, you're not putting your money where the mouth is. I think that comes back to the idea that we mentioned last week where there's an assumption that the church should be taking care of these financial programs. But it isn't. But they haven't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if they were, then yeah, that might be a different conversation, but we're not there yet. Um, so, yeah, anyways. Um, my next one was that it's insanely ironic how many Christians will attempt to hoard wealth or look down on the poor when the Bible is constantly telling them to do the opposite. Constantly. Like we were just saying, like the church in Acts and Jesus himself, all through the Old and New Testament, there's examples of what nowadays is critically called socialism. Like basically take care of your neighbor. Right. Like mm. if, if you have a bunch of money and somebody needs some help, go help them. Yeah. Like the the Good Samaritan story always kills me because like there's the religious leader that you would expect to take care of the guy that got robbed. Then there's the businessman that you would expect to be able to help the guy that got robbed. Mm-hmm. And then you have a Samaritan that's like, look, I don't I don't have money, but I can definitely help you out. Took him to a not a doctor, but like a, a place in, he could yeah. rest and in and was like, hey, take care of this guy. And I'm on my way here. But when I come back, I'll pay whatever else is due. Right. Because obviously this guy needs help. Like the good Samaritan is the good guy in that story. Yeah. And yet somehow Christians miss that. Mm-hmm. They just they don't want to help. I can't tell you how many times I've heard Christians say, well, if they weren't so lazy, they would mm. blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Knowing that they're sitting in a system that is designed to screw people over from the jump. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's why those stats like that I mentioned earlier are kind of important because you can see over time, like, look, not only, like, even if there were a lot of non-hardworking people, it's still becoming harder. So people, if they are working hard, they have to work harder yeah. to get those things. And it's just like, we, we are deliberately shooting ourselves in the foot as a nation to just support people living. <laughs> yeah. Um, my next one was that it, it really blows my mind how conservatives conflate wealth and morality. Mm. And when people who are often the wealthiest get there by exploitation, which is like literally the very worst thing you can do. Like when Trump was running, everybody's like, oh, you know, Trump is God's, uh, God's candidate. So he's going to win. And it's because he's so business smart and he's so wealthy. Obviously he knows what he's doing. It's like, you know, he took out loans and then just refused to pay people. Yeah. Invested that money and made well on some investments, but he's not paying his loans back. Like, yeah. he's. Several, he's several lawsuits. All kinds of like yeah. really crazy things. Like, just because he's rich doesn't mean he has the moral high ground. Right. And that is like one of the things that has always driven me insane. It's like, people think, oh, you know, this guy is wealthy, so he must be righteous. Yeah, but that's Oof. that's not the case. That's very rarely the case. Well, it's also a double standard because the people that cry that are are the very same people that go, "Well, look at the left elite, like the Hollywood elite, and mm-hmm. all these different people that are wealthy and rich on these things that are like yeah. saying these." Like, so so which one is it here? You know, is it are they if they're bad and they're rich, 
then what what about your guy here? Yeah. Or like, you know, it's just yeah, it's a double standard. They're like usually the first ones to like super praise like not super praise, um, like down celebrities of any kind. Right. Be like they don't deserve any of that money, but then it's like somebody who's like invested in corporations or own huge businesses. Yeah. Oh, they earned it. Yeah. They worked hard for their money. Yeah. And I'm like Yep. So did everybody else say <laughs> yes. My favorite is the Elon Musk stands like they, uh, they will do anything for Elon Musk. Dude. And they're like, oh, he's a genius. No, he's he started off with family mm. money. I was just talking about he that the other week. He didn't invent any of the technology that his company sells. He bought Tesla. Ah, oh, my God. Thank you. I feel like nobody else wants to talk about that. They're just like, oh, but he's doing so much for, like, SpaceX or whatever the heck it's called. And I'm like, is, is he? Is he, though? Is he? He should be doing things here. Yeah. On the planet. And not in space. Because we are here. We live here. Yeah, I oh, think, my God. Uh, Neil um, Tyson was was asked about something like, along those lines. Like, well, hey, should we just, like, totally scrap this Earth and just go to Mars? Like, no, like, we, we can do both. We can, we can focus on ourselves here and do things. But the reason why we go out there is so that we can better learn about ourselves here, yeah. to better ourselves here. Yeah, it's good that eventually in the future when we can do those things to go out and to branch out. But he's basically said the only reason why we would have colonies is not to just make money or whatever, but it's like it's literally a second option. If yeah. there's a meteor that's too big for us to destroy, we have a second option. Mm. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> like, yeah. We're not trying to colonize. The earth. We're trying to like just live. Yeah. 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 That also makes me think of like um like the industrial era when um like everybody started getting all of their money and stuff like from railroads and like trains and like what else was going on at the time steel yep. iron all that stuff big metals um and like all of that they like it just carried on and so like half the people who are rich today is because of what happened then? Yeah. yeah, family money. Yeah, it's not because they like earned it. Yeah, it was practically given to them. Well, it's interesting that you say that because that happened in like what the eighteen seventies, eighties, all that time frame, yeah. industrial revolution. That's also the time where slaves were freed and yet not given anything to help support them. And so that really mm-hmm. does further the point and the the whole the whole discussion about um, oh, what's the technical term of it, but just how. Basically, enslaved people, they started off from nothing, and white people did not. They, they not yeah. doesn't mean all white people didn't, but majority had something to start off with. Yeah. And so you, you have this this generational wealth that could accumulate over time where that was not very possible. With it, it had already been happening for right. generations before that even. Right. Like cotton plantations, like that's the yeah. money that they use to buy the steel mills yeah. and things like that. And it's just... Yep. Ah. And it's also just a matter of like literally same thing industrial era um, when politics started getting like bigger and bigger. Um, half of the people that were in like positions of like like government were paid mm-hmm. to be there or they paid people to vote for them to get them in those positions. It's yeah. all corrupt. All of it has been through exploitation. And so it's like you really think none of those practices have carried over. Right. Because that's what we were founded on is exploitation and fraud. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Love, to, love to hear it. This is what I was crying about the other night. I was um, doing my own episode of Drunk History to my boyfriend. We should do that. Drunk podcasting. Yeah. Always more drunk. <laughs> Always more drunk. Uh, my last little bullet point was that 
this was the sin of Sodom, which a lot of people were like, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because of homosexuality and blah, yeah. blah. If you if you grew up in the evangelical church, if you know, you know. Um, <laughs> but the real sin of Sodom, and it actually says that in the Bible, yeah. was power inequality. Right. It was it was hospitality. It was the fact power. that people we're that horrible. had power were abusing people that didn't have power. Yeah. That was the whole point. Like it had nothing to do with the the homosexuality that may or may not have been prevalent in that town. It had nothing to do with the individual people just being rude to each other and God didn't like people being rude. Yeah. It had everything <laughs> to do with power inequality. It's interesting too, is like people will focus you really see where people's focus is. Yeah. Uh, because they will criticize the homosex the apparent supposed uh, homosexuality but they don't actually point out the rape that happened with his daughter i'm like, telling you i'm telling you what the hell yeah like where are our priorities lie? exactly yeah god that's 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 the whole reason they yeah. were destroyed is because people were horrible yeah to other people but no whatever sure yeah yeah, I, I so for me, Chris, you're talking earlier about the the, the whole the pipeline of deconstruction from even you kind of because you really do because you you start this is going to sound what's the word I'm looking for you really start doing this thing of giving excuses or trying to give yourself wiggle room to think differently and so being a libertarian was kind of that for me was yeah. a okay well i believe these social things but economically i'm still going to hold on to this mm. and whatever and one of the biggest things that helped change me coming to that was healthcare because it wouldn't make sense to me that we have all of this wealth, especially when you look at things like our military budget. You have all of this wealth accumulated in the United States. We, we, the money's already there. It's not like we're, we would have to tax more. But if you were to cut down on military budget, we could pay for health care. Even, even if it wasn't like full 100%, we could be doing 10 times more, 100 times more than what we're doing. Yeah. And so that to me screamed, okay, this type of economics, this type of politics isn't working. Mm. Um, you know, someone has, there's a lot of people I follow, I was telling Harley earlier, there's a lot of people I follow that are expats that live in like Germany and UK and everything. And they talk about the differences between, because that's the biggest thing. Like people are complaining about the high taxes, which is why I wanted to share earlier about taxes. It, they come up, complain about these high taxes. Like, yeah, but you have to consider things like your premiums, the things that you pay for with insurance already. You're paying more for it for less return. Mm -hmm. You really are. When you consider premiums, when you consider... Uh, like, um, oh, what do you call it? Like just down payments and stuff. You, they, they, it, it, sorry, I need to calm down because it really makes me mad. <laughs> no, that's valid. If you would just sit down and actually do the math and look at all the, the surrounding costs of what it takes, and we're going to get to socialism in a minute. Um, we're going to talk about that and I'm going to save what I'm going to say for that, but we, it's not hard to go, okay, maybe the system that we're built on when it comes to capitalism is not working. If we have a country, apparently the richest country in the world, and we can't prevent our people from dying from hunger, if we can't help our kids not live in poverty, if we can't do these things, then are we truly the greatest country in the world? Yeah, the richest country in the world should not have a homeless problem. No. Yeah, facts. Just shouldn't. I I'm not saying that it won't ever not exist, homelessness or whatever, but at the rate it is compared to other developed nations, it shouldn't be this extreme. It, we talk about that with guns, but it's the same thing across many different aspects. We are behind 
a lot of developed nations, and yet we're the richest country in the world. The question is then, where's that money going? Oh, it's mm. all in the billionaires' pockets. It all goes straight to like six different people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and with that, Harley, I Ain't give the it rich. To, I give it to you. Anything you want to say about fiscal conservatism? Um, I really dislike excessive wealth. Yeah. Pisses me off. Always hated it. I like remember learning about it and being like, you have this much money and there are people suffering yeah. and you're just like cool with that. Like, yeah. oh my God. And then the biggest thing for me is they like to like live by modern standards in every other way, whether that, you know, obviously be financially or like socially or like whatever, but they never want to apply their religion to like modern mm. day. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Like how that can be, because obviously the way it was written in the Bible is way different compared to how we live now. Way different. But like, there's still things from that that you should be taking and applying now, right. like being, um, like giving away your wealth and yeah. things like that and taking care of other mm -hmm. people around you. You can't do it exactly like that. Like, I mean, the rich could buy other people houses, but that's besides the point. But like, even people who are in like the upper middle class, like you could be doing things by just like donating or mm -hmm. whatever. And like, I don't know just is very annoying. Yeah, when you start owning multiple boats, when you start owning multiple vacation homes and, you know, all these different things, it's like, I, I, I've told just this, and, like, if we ever came to a place where we were earning a lot of money, I don't want to, there's a certain line that I, I don't want to go over, like, when it comes to wealth. Like, I just, I, I want to cap myself somewhere. Yeah. Whether that means giving it away, whether that means, you know, living in a certain place that's not as demanding. Um, I, I don't want to be in that boat because it will ruin us. Yeah. And I also just can't fathom the idea that they spend all of that extra wealth on things that are like incredibly expensive. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you're okay with those things being incredibly expensive. Yeah. Because yeah, they yeah. can afford them and no one else can. Yeah. And I just, that, it just makes I, no sense. No, I constantly yeah. think about like, what if I win the lotto? Mm -hmm. And I think I've I've realized like I wouldn't know what to do with more than sixty million dollars, <laughs> and that's including giving most of it away. Right, like like fifty five million dollars, I would just give away. Yeah, I don't know what I would do with beyond that, and that's like in my wildest fantasy dreams or whatever. Like, and you have people making that in a year. You have people yeah. making that in a month. <laughs> yeah, bro, like um. Amazon, like Bezos, yeah. Bezos. Thank you. I, we need to eat that man first. Um, <laughs> eat him. <laughs> Sorry, but like these people, just they have so much a stupid amount of wealth. Yeah, and they're doing stuff like let me build a dick shaped rocket and fly into <laughs> space for twenty minutes and then come back. Yeah. That'll be fun. You That'll cost billions of dollars. According to the interwebs, I don't know how true it is. So we're, but I'm not gonna do the math. Um, Elon Musk earns about $650 million a day. Oh, my God. A day. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's literally 10 times what I could even fathom to give away. Yeah. And here's the, here's the thing. In and, my life. And here's the socialist in me coming out, or even the communist, I guess. Is, is he really working that hard? No. no, no, he's not. Yeah, yeah, so there's, like, there's no one on the face of the planet that could work that. I, hard. I, I get the argument that when you're in leadership, there's more responsibility and there's more whatever. I get that. I'm not saying that you should be living in the, you know, the dirt. However, that much. Yeah. You're telling me I'm a human being is working that much worth. I'm yeah. sorry. 
that to me is so selfish. And especially what we've heard recently regarding his corporation and the things that's happened, you can't tell me that there's not some level of greed going on there. You just can't. And for those of you who are still trying to defend everything, if you consider yourself a Christian, uh, let me just give you a, a Bible example. Ezekiel sixteen forty nine through 50. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. Oh. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Mm. They didn't, it didn't say they didn't set up programs. It didn't say that they didn't, uh, you know, uh, just, you know, d- charity. It says they didn't feed their poor. They didn't do these things. Mm-hmm. Period. Th- th- that's the, the point. That they did do were detestable to God. Yeah. <sighs> <sighs> like, y- y'all understand the Tower of Babel was a problem because they were building a... a tower to God or whatever so that they could reach the heavens, well, but you have no problem with a rocket? Right. Like, how is it not the same thing? Yeah. Mm. It just does it faster. You don't actually have to climb stairs. Yeah. It's the same concept. He's gonna smite us. Oh, Jesus. Y'all are lucky God promised not to destroy us with a flood. <laughs> <laughs> yep. See, that's that's why I couldn't do it. There's a song that I really appreciate, and for the life of me, I can't remember it right now because the lyric just popped into my head, but it says, if I were God, we'd all be dead, which is 100% true for me. <laughs> like, <laughs> Jesus. If somebody's like, hey, God, you're going to promise not to flood the world again? No. Uh, <laughs> should, shouldn't you make that promise? Yeah, but see, what if they deserve it again? <laughs> like, I'm not going to promise that. I'll just hold on to that, keep it in my back yeah. pocket for later. Keep the and then, like, right around 1980, <laughs> yeah. I'd have been like, yep, see? You guys, you guys are on the track. Told you. <laughs> Reagan? Oh, man. Fiscal <laughs> conservatism. Yeah. Next up. Moving on to our next topic. Um, like we said, we're going to split this into three basic categories. So we kind of touched on this one a little bit. The root of all evil. Capitalism. <laughs> I, it just it's funny to me because I think about just two years ago, Tim, talking about this discussion. And I'm like, I, I wouldn't have been fond about capitalism, but I definitely wouldn't have been like, it's evil and all this stuff. I, I definitely, it's a wild ride. It's a wild ride. No, it's 100% evil. <laughs> um, so let, let's start with this. Uh, it's a quote by Michael Parenti. He says, the free market mythology argues that the most ruthless, selfish, opportunistic, greedy, calculating plunderers applying the most heartless measures in cold-blooded pursuit of corporate interests will produce the best results for all of us. Hmm. Like, let, let's think about that. Yeah. That's, that's the whole trickle-down Reaganomics thought process. Like, oh, you know, if the billionaires are doing great, if Wall Street is doing great, if all the money lenders and the banks are doing amazing everyone's doing great but these are people that will literally like rip money out of a mother's hands yeah so that they can just have more money they don't even need it yeah they're taking houses from people that are falling behind by a couple hundred dollars like oh oh hold on no so like renting houses versus being able to buy a house mm. One of the issues that I had with my current rental company is um, I paid my rent one time, but for whatever reason, the bank didn't process it. Like, the money was there. They just didn't let the rental agency take the money. Hmm. Um, I paid on the first. By the fifth, I think, they had said, hey, your payment didn't go through, and I checked my bank account. Money was still in the account, so I was like, all right, well, let me just pay it already. 
And they're like, okay, that's cool. You can pay it today. That's fine. But we already sent you this letter. So I get the letter and it's like, hey, if you're not out by the 8th, we're sending the sheriff to come remove you from your house. Jeez. Like it was a, a mistake by my bank. They even refunded me the uh, the fees that the bank applied to it because they screwed up. Yeah. But the rental agency was ready to kick me out of my house seven days later yeah. after I missed a payment. Like mm-hmm. it's due on the 1st. I paid. It just didn't go through. Right. And they were ready to kick us out on the 8th. Like how is this any kind of system that people are okay supposed with. to be yeah. living in like yeah. and and that to me really kind of hits it on the head because to me I look at it in a in a broad sense of like what has this economic um product um capitalism what is it bred in in terms of our culture how, how do we look at our banks do we look at them in a positive light no, we don't. Do we look at our billionaires in a positive light? Generally, no. We look at all these forms of wealth, and generally speaking, both on both sides of the spectrum, we think, ah, they're not great people. I'm thinking, why is that? We have a system to where we let them run free, <laughs> where, where it's like they get to be rewarded for doing really shitty practices like that. Yeah. One of my favorite Christmas movies is It's a Wonderful Life mm-hmm. um, with, uh, what's his name, Jimmy Stewart. Was it Jimmy Stewart? It was Jimmy Stewart. And um, he plays this guy named George Bailey who owns a bank. Like his family has a bank, but it's like a a building and loan type bank. It's not a big corporate bank. So it's where all the local people go. And then the antagonist of the movie is a guy named Potter who does own a big corporate bank. And he's just an a-hole and everybody hates him, but people have to go to him sometimes. So George Bailey has this bank that he's supposed to be going on – uh, honeymoon for he literally just got married and there's a run on the banks everybody's running to the bank to like take um take their money out that way they all have their money and he gets there and his wife is like hey let's just use our honeymoon money to keep the bank still running so they keep the bank up and then people you know they take little bits at a time rather than taking their full amount everybody's working together in the community to make sure that this bank stays afloat yeah because like another three or four years later, you realize like after that happened, the bank got its all got all of its money back and everything was fine. And then that bank funded this guy's house and it funded this girl's braces and it funded this guy's medical situation. And when people are like, um, hey, we need our money back. He's like, we don't have money right now because your money is in Mr. Johnson's house. Mm-hmm. It's in little Susie's braces. And they're like, yeah, that makes sense. Like this isn't just for us like this is right what, this is the community that we've built because of these investments like that's how it's supposed to be but you'll notice at the like in the alternate universe potter owns everything because mm. that's the way it went since george bailey was never born his whole bank account thing never got set up so he couldn't take care of the community but potter started taking over everything and it was like potterville and potterton and potter this potter that everything yeah. was that guy's he owned everything and people were poor and miserable. And I really feel like we got to live in that universe. And somewhere out there, there's a George mm-hmm. Bailey universe that I would love to be in. Yeah. But right now, like, you can really see what happens when the potters of the world take over. Because that's what's happening here. Right. Yeah. I think about, too, you know, you, you, you go back to colonial America, like early days, like literally just colonies around these guys didn't have these luxurious, huge things set up. And I like to think about it because it's actually a good metaphor to how we should probably live today is they supported one another through their work. 
Mm-hmm. They didn't have vast amounts of wealth just running around the colony. So what they did is they each did a job. They worked, and they worked hard, but they did it to survive, and they did it to help each other. And that means sometimes someone's work wasn't technically more or hard more or less hard work than someone else's. But if someone's a carpenter that and that's what they know how to do, then they're going to do that. But if someone else is a doctor, then they're going to do that. Does that mean the person over here doesn't get to see the doctor because they don't have the money? See, today that makes sense because if you don't have the money, then why not? But it's like back then, they were calling. They helped each other. Yeah. They, they yeah, did they whatever. They relied on Yeah, they gave each other these resources and they, yeah, there was some money involved, but even then you just survived. And so you look at today, that's why I like to think about it in terms of like, if I only lived with 100 people, what would I want? And I would want a system where we helped each other, where we didn't have to set these standards of incredible wealth on one another. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a guy on TikTok that uh, he does like TikTok series as a doctor. One of them is a rural doctor. And he put up a video, I think the day before yesterday, Uh, Where he was like, hey, I heard rural doctors get paid a lot more. Is that true? And the rural doctor was like, I mean, it depends on what you mean by paid. And the guy was like, what do you mean? And this guy walks in. He's like, hey, um, Martha's in today, and she doesn't have uh, money for the copay. Can she just give you more eggs like last time? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I guess. (laughs) He's like, what? He's like, yeah, I mean, last time the eggs hatched, so now we have chickens. That's cool. Right. Um, one time a guy paid me in goats and they got into everything. I had a guy build me a chicken oh coop for the chickens yeah. and that was fine. Um, some people have insurance, some people don't. And for the ones that don't, we just kind of make it work somehow. Right. It's like, hey, um, Mr. Jefferson is here and he's <clears throat> redoing the siding while he's waiting. The siding on the building? He had a heart attack three <laughs> days ago. He said it needed doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you, my, my thing is if you just keep asking why, you'll eventually get to the source of, all, of everything is why does it cost so much to go to the doctor? Like, oh, well, people are like, oh, well, the doctor went to college for this amount of years, and they paid hundreds of thousands of dollars in that school. Okay. Why? Why, why do they have to pay that much? Oh, because that kind of education is, you know, expensive. Why? Why do we value that? Because that's all money is. Mm-hmm. It's what we place our value in. That's all it is. You, you can look at material things and kind of do it differently, but when it comes to... You know, things like that comes to, especially the university, which I didn't get into, but I could have, like colleges, like it's only where we deem its worth. And when we establish a place to where the universities can set whatever kind of prices they want, and then you can cap, um, you you have student loan programs that are horrible and like setting up people up for a horrible life. All of which, again, just goes back to racism because... Universities and colleges didn't charge tuition until That's they were right. desegregated. That's right. Just throwing that out there. That and if you it. don't believe me, Google it. Yeah. Sorry, I got to focus there. Yeah. Um, other things to talk about with capitalism. So things like uh, Harley mentioned a second ago, politics and money in politics. Like, for example, like the NRA contributes to right-wing politicians who obviously in turn will do whatever the hell they ask because that's where the money's coming from. Children are literally dying in their schools from gun violence, not just in homes where accidents happen or like hunting and, you know, a kid didn't know what they were doing or they tripped and shot themselves by accident. Like in schools, people are intentionally going and legally purchasing guns to kill children. Yeah. Not just once one off like this happens all the time now in the States. And somehow America's answer to this is buy more guns. Yeah. Like. Governor Abbott literally said that California surpassed us in gun purchasing for like a little bit. 
And Abbott was like, no, we need to buy more guns so that we're the number one gun-owning state. Like, why is that a trophy that you want to have? Yeah, yeah that's weird. Like, you literally have, like, 17 mass shootings in the past two months. Like, mm. why, why, why do you want more guns? Like, why is it? Why is it something that you're willing to sacrifice human lives for right. for money, for political money at that? Like, you're going to be governor for a little while, sure, but that's just a position that you have to be elected for. Yep. Mm-hmm. There's not even a guarantee, and yet you're willing to sacrifice these human lives for the chance to be governor. At that rate, you're not going to have any more people to govern. They're yeah. all going to be dead. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, other things like... Uh, What's his name? DeSantis from Florida. Don't even get me started. So this man literally, like, in an effort to show how serious Florida was about the border problem, spent $50 million chartering planes to fly a group of Texas immigrants, mind you, who were here legally, by the way, um, seeking asylum, like just brown people, but undocumented immigrants because they're not documented yet. Um, He flew them... He got them on the plane by promising, first of all, that they were going to be fast-tracked for housing and jobs in Boston. So they were like, I mean, you know, we don't know anybody there, but if that's what it takes to do this the right way and be legal American citizens, we'll do it. Absolutely. So they get on these planes trusting a government official, U.S. government official at that, from a completely different state, but they don't understand the difference. Um, And he drops them off on Martha's Vineyard recently to prove that um, nobody wanted them. Yeah, He's like, well, now they're here. You deal with them. And immediately, like, people don't realize not only did that just happen, but it was literally the best case scenario for white saviorism. <laughs> because yeah. not only do these people now get to have all the publicity watching them save these brown people, but they didn't have to pay for any of the publicity. And the brown people came to them. Yeah, They didn't have to go out of their way. Like, kids got off school. And, like, it sounds like Right. It's literally a, a white savior's wet dream to be able to do what they did. And he was trying to prove, like, oh, nobody wants these people here. It's a strain on our economy. And then even though they did it for what I believe are the wrong reasons, Martha's Vineyard's people helped them out. They were just like, okay, let's do it. Right. Most, And I won't, I won't say all of them. I, I think a good majority of them really did genuinely want to help, and mm-hmm. they finally got that opportunity. Obviously, the politicians are using that as a photo op, but it yeah. is what it is. But, like, to prove that there is strain on our economy, he spent $50 million, and it backfired. Yeah. Genius. I I can't, I don't even have anything to say, because it's just, you're using people. Like, the, the point of our economy is so that everybody has the best life that they can. Right. It, it's 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 the same thing when Abbott did the whole stopping the trucks with food at the border of Mexico and Texas. Yeah, like you're you, you're you're literally using people's lives as a political point. Or the governor of Mississippi wouldn't uh, allow yeah. uh, the mayor of Jackson wouldn't give him funds to fix the water pumps, and now they're all out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Um, secondly, like, like I was saying, the, the economy, as far as capitalism goes with renting versus buying a house, let's talk about that. Yeah. Uh, because first of all, fuck credit scores, (laughs) they're, they're invented in like the 1980s. Yeah. And Uh, 
the eighties. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Again. Uh, well, the current credit system, obviously credit's been around for a while, but right, the, the right. current credit system we use was invented in the eighties and it screws literally anyone who didn't already have money. Mm-hmm. Um, but trying to buy a house recently, like my wife and I realized like there are ways we could do it, but it it would be better for us to just rent for another year or two and then get our credit scores even higher, yeah. um, save up some money for down payment, <coughs> kind of figure out, wait for the market to drop down a little bit because it's on a down tick now. So that's always a good option. Um, but the system is designed to have you perpetually renting. Right. Because in order to buy a house, they say you need 20% down and you need to have this certain credit score and you have to have a DTI, debt to income ratio of this percentage. And like all of those things individually, like you could probably do one or two of them by working hard, but to have all of them at the same time. Right. It's hard as hell, dude, especially if you have a family already. Like, if you're just now starting out with a family, maybe, but if you already have a family and then you're trying to do these things, it's damn near impossible. Right. Mm. The system is not designed for people to own things. It's designed for the corporations and, like, six people to own things. Yeah. It's just one of those things that really bothers me. It's terrifying. Mm. Time for me? Yeah. All right. Let's hear what you got. All right. Here's a long quote. Um, I'm trying to get through quickly, but it's from David Bentley Hart. He says, Americans are, of course, the most thoroughly and passively indoctrinated people on earth. They know next to nothing as a rule about their own history or the histories of other nations or the histories of other various social movements that have risen and fallen in the past. And they certainly know little or nothing of the complexities and contradictions uh, comprised within words like socialism and capitalism. Chiefly, what they have been trained not to know or even suspect is that in many ways they enjoy far fewer freedoms and suffer under a more intrusive, centralized state than do the citizens of countries with more vigorous social democratic institutions. This is at once the most comic and most tragic aspect of the excitable alarm that talk of social democracy and uh, democratic socialism can elicit on these shores. An enormous number of Americans... Sorry, I'm losing my place because I got the font small. Have been persuaded. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, wait, wait, Isn't what? it the repercussions of your own actions? <laughs> What's that, Tim? Your your font is too small, <laughs> like I've been saying. You're for... interrupting me. An enormous number of Americans have been persuaded to believe that they are freer in the abstract than, say, Germans or Danes, precisely because they possess far fewer freedoms in the concrete. They are far, they are far more vulnerable to medical and financial crisis, far more likely to receive inadequate health coverage, far more prone to irreparable insolvency, uh, far more unprotected against the predatory creditors, far more subject to income inequality, and so forth, while effectively paying more in tax when one figures in federal, state, local, and sales tax, and then compounds those by all the expenditures that in this country or almost nowhere else their taxes do not cover. One might think that a people who once rebelled against the mightiest empire on earth on the principle of no taxation without representation would not meekly accept taxation without adequate government services. But we accept that we have become used to it, I suppose. Even so, one has to ask what state apparatus in the, quote, free world would be more powerful and tyrannical than those than the one that taxes its citizens while providing no substantial civic benefits in return, solely in order to enrich a uh, Sorry, uh, parrot. Piratically. Thank you. Uh, over-inflicted, over-inflated military 
industrial complex and to ease the tax burdens on the immensely wealthy. End quote. Essentially, we've been bamboozled. Heckin' bamboozled. <laughs> like, I have thoroughly enjoyed reading and uh, t- not just from TikTok, but from people from TikTok who have lived in Europe and talked about the the coverages and the the just granted you may not become the richest person in the world over there but you're going to live and you're going to be okay and you're going to have so much more happier happier and longer sustainable life it's just it's mind-boggling to me because I was trapped in this because I was fed those things that that certain thing like we have more freedoms here I'm like okay how does that work and you you consider like what he's talking about the taxes the federal the state local and the sales taxes like why do we have all these things you look at countries like Germany where they have less of that yeah your tax rates are a little bit higher but they pay for things like your healthcare which I mentioned earlier where we pay so much more just for the premiums and for the the things that you're gonna have to pay out of pocket for like what's the point and I also think about it all the time where I'm like, what freedoms do they not have that we have? Right. Yeah. What guns? Yeah. No, yeah. I think I mentioned last series or the last time we talked about this, like America is like only what, 17th on the freedom, yeah. uh, freedom index. Tied for 17th. Yeah. Tied for 17th. Yeah. We're, it, yeah. Yeah. There, there's it, a lot of people say socialism does not work. Does it literally currently exist in many modern countries, and and here's where I started looking back as to why it hasn't worked everywhere, because if you look at countries like Chile, which in the South American country was a country that did adopt some socialism, and it was actually flourishing. So in the 70s, when socialist programs were introduced, wages increased by around 22 percent, taxes were lowered, inflation rained down by over 10 percent, housing programs were funded, all educational enrollments grew, maternity leave was doubled, and poverty was decreased. And what stopped it? It wasn't a government collapse. It wasn't a you know the the economics thing just just fell and shambled. It was when the American government via the CIA got involved, which happens way more often than people want to believe. Look at South American and Central American governments, and just look at how many times things got crazy wrecked up. Dude, because the Honduran we got president that just lost his seat uh, was replaced by a progressive socialist option. Um, the reason he was even in power is because the U.S. put him there. Right. Mm. Yeah. Also, I just did some research because um, I was thinking about the guns thing. And I was like, I that's like a big thing for like Americans. Is like That was like one of our freedoms where it's like, oh, we right. can own guns. Um, Norway, you can own guns. Oh, yeah. Um, and they're also one of the most free countries. Yeah. Like top 100. Socialist. Yeah. Yeah, is it, Where, where's the, where's the confusion, guys? Like I don't understand. Well, the, the 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 problem is there. There's this assumption that you're either capitalist or you're either socialist or communist or whatever these things, and that, like there is no spectrum to them. It's just black mm-hmm. or white, mm-hmm. and that's not how the world works. There is no purely socialist government out there. There is no purely capitalistic government out there. We have, which I was really excited to get to, we have many socialist programs in the United States that we don't actually aware are aware of. You ready for some of them? My favorite. The first one is the military. <laughs> wow. The military. You have uh, you have guaranteed food, schooling, medical, and guaranteed housing. Mm-hmm. And the highest ranked officers only make ten times the amount of those that are just getting like in the door. Yep. It's literally in our military. Also, here's the thing: if you don't want to live on base, you qualify for BAH, which mm-hmm. is housing assistance yeah. off base. Ooh. 
Ooh, yeah. Ooh, ooh, if no. they make you move somewhere, they help with the moving costs. Right. If you have a family, your family is also covered. I'm an army brat. I remember this. Yeah. I have type 1 diabetes. I have since I was five. And up until I moved out and was off of my dad's insurance, I, neither me nor my parents had to pay a dime for anything. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's mind-boggling to me because it's like, and by no means am I saying that people who serve in the military don't deserve these benefits. My point is, is that it can work. <laughs> we, we have it in our system. We can make it work. Yeah. People will like, they're like, oh, I don't want to get out of the military because of all the benefits. But then they trash socialism like. Right, exactly. Bro, you're living socialism. Yeah. You're doing <laughs> a socialism right now. You're, you're living it. the dream. <laughs> uh, we just want that for everyone. Here's some other examples. The NFL. Uh, they share their money. All money earned on a game day, 60% goes to the home team, 40% goes to the away team. All of it. Every single dime. The, the, the actual tickets, the concessions, all of it. And here's, the, here's the, even the, the bigger part. TV licensing and merchandising, which is where most of the money comes from, is split between all 32 teams. Damn. Now, obviously, that doesn't take into account the individual no. like, contracts that people have with like Nike or with Madden. 20, right. The players 20, are, 20, are not in part of that. Yeah, that, that's not including their stuff, and obviously their team sign-on bonuses and all of that as yeah. well. But all of their money comes from the split. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, that's how our school system works. You, everyone collectively, are you telling me that all your neighbors has kids? You are paying for your neighbor's kids to go to school. Mm -hmm. That's how it works. Now, here's where it gets shitty is where the budget is dependent on the type of neighborhood that you're in. Yeah. That's where it gets really shitty. Now, here's, here's, an, here's a great one. Let's say you're a kind of person whose house never catches on fire. I don't know about you, Chris, but my house never catches on fire. I've why? it happen twice. Why? <laughs> 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 well, I, I don't know about you. Me, I've never had that happen, so I don't need to pay for a fire department because I'm never going to need it, right? No, everyone pays for the fire department. And here's the thing. It, it actually makes sense because if – Someone's houses go down, they become a burden on society. It makes sense to have a system in place where everyone pitches in just a little bit mm -hmm. to make sure that people's houses don't burn down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I heard this a while back. Uh, socialism is the fire department saving your house. Capitalism is the insurance company denying your claim. Oof. That always kills me. Like when people are like, well, you know, this is, I, I saw a picture recently. I think I talked about this last year, actually. Um, somebody posted a picture of like downtown LA where there's like a homeless camp and they're like, this is the future housing plan under Biden. <laughs> yeah. Like, bro, this is the current housing plan in capitalism right now. In capitalism. <laughs> Here. It's happened. That is a picture of America right now. Right now. What are you talking about? <laughs> It already exists, buddy. Uh, guys, I'm not going to say any more. I was going to get into Reaganomics, but I'll just say this. If you really want to look about the long-lasting effects of Reaganomics, the, the trickle-down e economy, just look it up. Just look at the, how the long-lasting effects, which I mentioned a little bit earlier with the stats with the taxes and everything. It, it's remarkable to see how much – there was good small change at the beginning, but then long-lasting really bad change because of the type of economics that he set up where it's less taxing – the rich becomes a less important thing. Um, and we see the effects of it. We're seeing expensive, more, it's harder to live. It's harder to afford food. It's harder to just have a house. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Arlene, you can take it from here. Um, period. But anyways, <laughs> um, I guess my biggest thing, 
at least for me at this age, this ripe age that I am, um, minimum wage yeah. in all jobs, most jobs, most service jobs, um, is ass. Yeah. It's not, it is not increased with the cost of living. No. And so we're still getting paid this horrible small wage, even though everything else around us is so much more expensive. Yeah. And I was talking about this yesterday with somebody else, but like his rates, because he's like a, mu- a musician, his rates for his hourly, like, you know, whatever performance, he has not increased them, even though everything around us is increasing. And I'm like, dude, mm-hmm. it's okay to ask for more. Like, you deserve that when you need to live. Yeah. And so I just find that really annoying. And I ended up looking up, like, the minimum wage in different states because, like, obviously there's the congressional, like, rate, which mm-hmm. is 725. And that's how it is for at least. Counting. At least 21 states. <laughs> including it, Texas, right? Including Texas um, is 725. Yeah. Like, that's, like, the state rate as well. And then there's very, like, it varies in, like, other states, like, from, like, I don't know, 8 bucks to, like, 12 bucks. Um, and then you only have, like, about 5 which is, like, above $14. If you don't mind me interrupting here, this is from the Cornell Law School. The national minimum wage was created by Congress under the Fair Labor Standards Act in 1938. Congress enacted this legislation under its authority in Article 1, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The, F- the FLSA was a comprehensive federal scheme which provided for minimum wages, overtime pay, record-keeping requirements, and child labor regulations. The purpose of the minimum wage to st- was to stabilize the post-depression econ- economy and protect the workers and the labor force. The minimum wage was designed to create a minimum standard of living to protect the health and well-being of employees. It was meant for you to live on. Mm-hmm. Yep. But it has not increased no. as everything no. around us has. You were supposed to be able to work a minimum wage job and have a family and a house and... Still be able to live. Still be able to pay your bills. And right. Live. I feel like I saw a Facebook post a couple of days ago. I don't know who shared it. Um, but it was basically like um, the cost of buying this specific house in like the 50s. And it was like you can pay like $49 a month. Oh, yeah. And the cost of the house was like a thousand bucks. I was like, you're. F- I mean, there's inflation, but even then, like, that's why I shared those stats because it's like, it costs less. It took less time to earn that money. Yeah. It's the same thing with college prices or uh, tuition prices. Mm-hmm. It, it just, it, it costs less. That's not very much annoying. Very um, annoying. And then, same thing I said earlier billionaires piss me off. No one should have that much money. Yeah. No one should have that much money. Um, yeah. And then I guess it kind of bounces back off of you, like with the loans and stuff, um, how everything is so expensive. And it basically forces us to contribute to a system where it's like just going on and on about being in debt and paying off Mm. loans and paying off like and having to buy like a house or a car is so expensive and you can't do it without that extra assistance, like that financial assistance. And so therefore it's a perpetual system. I used to be a really big fan of the movie Fight Club. Because it was like at the end of the movie, he destroys the credit bureaus, and back then everything was like paper filed. So when right. you blew up the building, it was all gone. There was no like internet mm-hmm. thing keeping all the stuff, keeping everybody accountable. Um, and then after growing a little bit, I was like, you know, that that's obviously that's just a, a far-reaching movie. You know, it's it's a cool movie, but you know, we shouldn't do that. That's bad for the country. <laughs> And now I'm right back at it. I'm like, let's burn down the credit unions, <laughs> yeah. all of them. Yeah. Get rid of everything, delete the websites, hack everything, like ruin all of it, start a brand new financial system, 
everybody starts off back at zero or I guess not zero, but like where they're at, I yeah. guess. No, not even where they're at. Cause everybody's being like shoved down. That's just true. Well, everybody the, starts off with the same thing though. Like flat yeah. rate, everybody gets like a thousand dollars and you go from there. Mm. Well, and that furthers the point to me because it's like, if we're truly a Christian nation, then that's a perfectly fine thing to do. Yeah. Because every seven years, if you really want to get biblical here and not, because I want to mention something later when it comes to Christian nationalism. But if you really want to get biblical, then you better start taking this shit seriously. Mm-hmm. Let's start deleting uh, loans and stuff like that every seven mm-hmm. years. Let's start doing it. I'm going to start throwing scripture back in their faces. Be like, hey, buddy, what are you doing? Yeah, I do that, and it's so much fun. And oh, you know, you so know, good. and this is, again, this is regarding my idea about the Bible and what it's supposed to be, because I don't think you should take it literally. But here's my point, is that it seems to me that Christ, American Christians, or at least evangelical, evangelical culture, they like to take only the things they want literally, and then the things that they don't want metaphorically. Cherry picking. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've been accused of cherry picking a scripture because, like, somebody will use a scripture, and I'm like, well, that's, first of all, that's not what that means, but secondly, this scripture over here. And they're yeah. like, well, you can't take that out of context. You're cherry picking what you want out of the Bible and not leaving the rest of it. You're doing the same thing. That's your whole religion, bro. <laughs> that's everything you guys do. Yeah. Like uh, we said last week. And then they did it anyway. They did it anyway. <laughs> <sighs> That's like the motto for, I think, this series for this year. For the, yeah, and they, did. they did it anyway. <laughs> I'll make that the subtitle today. Oh. All right. That's all I have to say. Well, then let's go ahead and jump into the last topic. I, we spent so much time on this. Um, but we had a short intro, so we're okay. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, Christian nationalism in and of itself. And my first bullet point is the problem with immigrants and poor people. Yeah. It, it's not actually a problem with them. It's a problem with the way that we treat them. Um, immigrants and poor people always get the short end of the stick. And even when they try to like reach up, they're pushed back down. When they try to do things the right way, they're still racially profiled. They're yeah. still attacked. They still can't get investments and things like that. Like... If you go try to get an, uh, a personal loan to cover credit cards or something like that, and the bank says, well, we can't loan your money, your credit score is too low, then they give you this paper that's like how to raise your credit score, and it's like get a personal loan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, yeah. what do you expect these people to do? It's like, it, have you tried just moving out of your area? You can't. Yes, <laughs> they have, and they can't. Yeah. Like, the system is not designed for people to succeed the way that the American dream says. You know, right. The reason people like capitalism is because anybody can pull themselves up by the bootstraps and they can work until they're successful and anybody can do anything that they want. But it, it's just not true. The system is designed to keep poor people poor and make rich people even richer. Right. Mm-hmm. It's designed to create that separation. And you can see that because the middle class has been shrinking. Mm-hmm. For so long. And it's not because people are becoming upper class. Right. It's more people are joining the lower class. Yep. And the upper class has been getting further and further away from the rest of everybody else. The bourgeoisie. The bourgeoisie run everything. Birds yep. work for the bourgeoisie. Um, sorry. And like with immigrants, like they're constantly being accused of being lazy and yet also somehow... Stealing other people's jobs? Right. Yeah, that's a crazy concept to me. Like, they want all these handouts, and they want everything just given to them, but also at the same time, like, they pay taxes and Social Security and Medicare that they're never going to be able to partake in. 
Yep. But it's like, also like another thing is, why are you mad? Like, I don't see you applying for these jobs. Yeah. Um, you go pick fruit. Right. But and then yeah. it's also like, it's because the rich man is hiring them for cheap labor. Yeah. You yeah. think that's okay too? Like, look, let's talk look, about that part. Yeah, look at the system. Why are they able to get a job here? Like, I, I know, I know, like, we should be giving them jobs. That's not my point. My point is, like, if they're able to get jobs, how are they able to do that? Mm-hmm. Because the rich man is letting them, which, all for it. I'm going to go, right. you know get your money. But, like, but, but look at the even, system. Like, why? Yes. Why? Yeah. Look at the why. Yeah. And But then you're not going to do it because you don't want to put in all that hard work. Yeah, I heard I heard ah. like an argument somewhere, and they're talking about like how I think it was regarding minimum wage, and it was talking about like we we expect people to do a job but not be able to be comfortably compensated for it, and yet we mm. put these high standards. Like, well, who do you want to be there then? Like, who do you expect to do that job? Like, because you think about like all the food, all the restaurants, all of that. Like, just consider what we would consider lower earning places mm-hmm. like who is supposed to do those jobs high if, school we, kids. If, if we expect everyone to be hardworking and get the higher end jobs right high school kids but even those then, jobs are designed for high school kids to make a little bit of extra spending money while they're in school That's there's not enough say. there's not enough high school kids also like <laughs> the times that you're going are during lunchtime right like, you go to mcdonald's during lunchtime on your lunch break well kids are in school these kids are in school <laughs> like what, what are you wanting them to do right yeah just think about it for two seconds. But then even then, how do you expect them to have a, a balanced life as a teenager? Right. Oh, yeah. Here's the thing, though. They don't give a fuck. Facts. <laughs> they don't care. Yeah. They yeah. just expect somebody to do it. Yeah. They want it done their way, and they truly don't care. Yep. Um, all of that being said, I think one of my favorite ways that we could solve a lot of these problems and it, it's very unpopular in some of the circles that I used to travel in, but <laughs> I don't care. For the love of God, and I mean that literally, for the love of God, <laughs> tax the churches. Yeah. I think taxing churches would pay so much more because churches wield like an insane amount of power to, to this day. And I would even be okay when it comes to brackets, like only taxing a certain amount towards like the higher, bigger churches. Because I like I understand like the smaller churches I don't want to penalize these super small churches that yeah, like, do if, like if generally do contribute to if their you're community. running a Bible study in your house like right don't obviously that that's not what I'm talking about I mean like these mega churches and yeah. these these evangelical safe havens for the billionaires right. things like that because they exist oh yeah oh yeah um can just talk about Hillsong for a second um. We need to tax them because they, they hoard all this money. They don't pay taxes. They have so much power and influence in government. There, there's like a whole shadow organization of Christian Christians that have been running this government for like the past 120 years mm. that they literally will like pump money into candidates yep. that will do what they want. But it's a shadow organization. Like the membership list is hidden. Nobody knows who's actually there. But they know about it because people that have been part of it have gotten out and been like, yo, this is what's going on. And, like, they have receipts and proof. Um, I think I read somewhere that, like, taxing the church would bring in, like, 71 to $86 billion annually, which I'm not entirely sure about the accurate numbers of that. But that seems about right. Um, where things like Medicare for All would only cost us 25 to $45 billion. 
Mm. Like it literally would double what we need to cover Medicare for all and not change anything else about our taxes or where our money's going, where our money's being spent. It would just bring in that extra amount of money. You wouldn't have to make any other adjustments. You could still spend 700 plus billion dollars on the U.S. military and Medicare for all would be covered. So I did a little bit of snooping for a quick moment. Um, and I was like, why don't we tax the churches? Like, blah, 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 blah. And so basically the Supreme Court, I don't know what year this was. This is not like a super statistical article. <laughs> um, but basically like the Supreme Court said, like, if you have the power to tax something, then you have the power to destroy that said thing. Yeah. Um, so they basically think it's like a constitutional like rights issue. But like my thought is if the church is so strong and powerful and like the religion is so sacred, like would you ever really destroy it? Yeah. Like, if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, it wouldn't be destroyed. It's going right. to be fine. You know what I mean? It's been here for two millennia. I mean, why, why now? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, if it should be sturdy enough well, there's also for that the, to be allowed. It's also a, a um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's also a failure to observe the global church as well. Because they think that because this would happen here in America, that, that everything would crumble. Mm. Where they don't even look at churches in other countries that like, are flourishing and other places that, like Africa that is really flourishing. Um, it, it's just, it's just it's selfishness. That's all it is. Yep. Yeah. It's not actually an infringement on your religious freedom. Also, they can tax us. So what does that say about us? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like as citizens. <clears throat> Stop asking for my money. It, it basically boils down to like too many church leaders and higher ups in the church are scared of losing income. So they hold yeah. on to the money that comes in. They buy things that are totally unnecessary. They they hoard it basically rather than mm. doing what Jesus commanded. And like for me, like again, I grew up in this church life. Like I, I've been there. I understand the arguments for it. I get it. I truly do. Yeah. But at the same time, following Jesus rather than following Christianity dogma, like if your church has a smoke machine but it doesn't have a food pantry, Ooh. there's a problem. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. Mm-hmm. I was going to deep dive into all this, but I won't. <laughs> uh, we were already long. Um, I will say this. I, I mentioned this last time. I will mention it again. There's a book by Chris um, and Dumay. And it's called uh, Jesus and John Wayne. Pick that up. Pick it up, and you will see how Christian nationalism has truly evolved in the past hundred years and why it is the way it is. And I say that because I'm going to say this. I heard a great illustration the other day from Sky Jatani uh, where he compared American Christianity to a raft. Many think of their faith as kind of like the sturdy ship that is, when it's in the waves, it doesn't move. It doesn't bend. It's just a sturdy piece of iron or whatever boats are, I don't know what ships are made out of. It, it's sturdy. It doesn't move. And in the waves of culture and time and society, it doesn't bend from those things. But a raft, it moves. It fluctuates. It, it goes with the waves. And so a lot of people think of their faith, the Christian faith, the American Christian faith, as that ship. But in reality, it hasn't always been that. And here's a great line of questioning that has helped me understand this is has my faith tradition changed on its political positions in history? And that's a really easy thing to look up, is look back at your line of faith, the whether it's American evangelicalism, whether it's Baptist, whether it's Catholic, whatever. Has it changed its mind in the American political system, like whereas people support a certain thing? If so, 
then it's already not that thing. Here's yeah. the second question is, does my faith tradition shape my bias? Yeah. If those two answers are yes, then you need to start rethinking about what you believe and why you believe it. T- to me, I, when I began to look at, and that's why that book is so important to me, is there were things like the abortion, which we'll get to in, I think, next episode or the episode mm. after. The American church has not always been against it. It, that was mind-boggling to me that it only happened recently, like in the seventies and eighties. Yeah, it finalized in the seventies. It was it started in the fifties, right after the civil rights movement. During the civil rights movement, and so my point in saying all this is that we have a problem when it comes to Christian nationalism, not because Christianity is bad, not because nationalism is bad necessarily on its own, but because it is inspired and pushed by an agenda. It's pushed and throttled by the system that we have allowed to be unleashed for quite a few years now and we are reaping the fruit of it yeah we are seeing our capital infiltrated and we are seeing people not be able to afford housing or food for their kids we are seeing this corporate entity of america and we are seeing the result of our actions from 30 40 50 years ago it's very interesting. I'll say this too. We come back to that question. Well, Christian or U.S. was a Christian nation. Did you know that the first drafts of the Constitution were almost like rejected from like most of the populace because it wasn't Christian enough? Mm-hmm. Like our founding fathers, it wasn't that big of a deal to them. <laughs> it was not that big of a deal to them. No. I say that because there's a lot of assumptions about where we've come from as a nation about our religious tying when it comes to the nation. And it's not as strong as you might think it is. If you truly just take a minute to look at it and to really listen and read people who spoke about faith and religion back then. And this is coming from a person who used to love that shit. I, I have a Patriots Bible still. I don't know why I still have it, but I still have it. Cause it's fun to look at. <laughs> I guess so. Um, like we mentioned last week, we've been there. We've seen it. We preached it. Just take a minute to maybe possibly consider something else. Mm. Harley? Um, I also want to say real quick, I'm not a dumbass. I know I meant the, um, after the civil rights movement, referring to the 70s, not the 50s. <laughs> just to clarify. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I know the time period. Just, <laughs> just wanted to say that. Um, History major. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, I realized I was responding at the wrong time. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. Um, I guess it was... I want to say when it comes to any form of like religious nationalism is extremely dangerous in a country that promotes freedom of religion. Um, like that's our, we have an amendment, like the bill of rights. Like it is our right. Yeah. Yeah. The first one (laughs) comes before the guns. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and so I feel like when they made that amendment at the time, obviously there's the big Christian, you know, thing is they didn't actually mean freedom of religion. They meant freedom to practice different forms of Christianity. Um, although that wasn't like, as we kind of mentioned earlier, um, the people who were coming over here, not all of them were like strictly like certain forms of Christianity or even Christian at all. They were just coming over here to get away um, from what they were experiencing in Europe. But as the country grew and developed and when it began to form, Christianity was the main form of it. And so the idea like when we see things about how people hate like Muslims and Jews and all that stuff, it was because like the, that religious like 
that Christian nationalism started kind of from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, it was there. It was just not as strong and prevalent as it is today. Um, and so I really think that when we come down to freedom of religion and all of that stuff, it should be clarified that it is any form of religion and that there should be no one leading one yeah. in this country. Did you ever see the video of that guy? I want to say he's from Alabama. Uh, he was like a politician from Alabama where he was saying that the reason a Muslim can't run the country, be the president, is because you have to put your hand on the Bible oh, yeah. and they can't do that. <laughs> yeah. He was like, well, they, they can't put their hand on the Bible and yeah. promise. It's like... You, you can use any book. It he, doesn't he was have like, to he be was like from Georgia or Mississippi too. He so that like, accent no, is right when, on. <laughs> when I did it, I put my hand on the Bible. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sure because you chose the Bible because you you're a practicing Christian. You don't but have to. You can use a Quran or really anything. You can use your grandma's. You just, you just sat there for a second, like uh, you can use your grandma's journal for all <laughs> you care. Like <laughs> that's all put my, my grams in of comic books. Like who cares? Yeah. <laughs> um, a quote that I read that I just really want to mention that I feel like is really relevant right now. So this is from an article from the University of South California, Dornsife, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, so it says, the 1920s saw a rebirth of the Ku Klux Klan, the rise of fundamentalist Christian revival centered on race, gender norms, and resistance to science, and the ascendance of communism and fascism in Europe. The decade ended with the stock market crash of 1929 with which precipitated the Great Depression. So, it, I'm not going to say history repeats itself, but it kind of rhymes. <laughs> it rhymes a little bit sometimes. Yeah. And so I feel like if we don't start um, realizing the problem with this, like, religious Christian, like, I don't know what the correct term is. is insurgents, maybe? Yeah. Revival, whatever you want to call it, um, that's happening right now. Like, we're just kind of, I guess, doomed to repeat what's already done. Yeah, there's a lot of alarms being rung by people, uh, historians too, but like social, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't think Commentators. of Commentators? Yeah. Sociologists? Li- yeah, yeah, sociologists might be the best word. But just looking at, because you mentioned rhyming in history, it's like they're ringing the bells about America right now because it's looking very similar to things like early rise of, of Hitler and these different things like there's there's already been talks in governments of like, hey, if shit goes down in America, will we accept immigrants from there? Like, how are we going to accept refugees from America? Mm-hmm. And stuff like, like, that's being talked about right now. Yeah, uh, It's not, this isn't a joke. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that's all I have to say about that. All right. I think that puts it in a pretty messy bow. <laughs> I think that'll be enough. Well I, well, I guess we should end it with, no, I'll save it for the final thoughts. All right, final thoughts. We'll save it for that. Um, stick around. We'll bring back, bring it right back with some questions and final thoughts. Thank you all for listening to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a rating on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at at alwaysmorepod. If you'd like to ask us a question for us to answer on the pod, you can email us at alwaysmorepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can call us on our Always More hotline and leave a voicemail question at 254-218-4042. You can also follow all of our social medias individually and as the Always More podcast. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to it.
Welcome back from that short, brief, and momentary break. Nice. Yeah. We needed a second to gather ourselves because obviously these topics are very triggering and very upsetting. I started punching walls. I cried a little bit. I ate some chicken. <laughs> 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 I'm glad you said that and not me. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. You can say it. I just can't say it about you. <laughs> Fair enough. Yet. Um, so we're going to go ahead and dive right on in. <laughs> we only had one listener question this week um, on topic anyway. And yeah. uh, this one came from our friend Shane who asks, what's y'all's best advice at combating the guilt associated with distancing yourself, deconstructing, and leaving the church? Because for me, at least, it can be so heavy and hard to deal with at times. Mm. I think that's the same feeling. Just like randomly, it'll just be like, ah, guilt. Wish I was there. Yeah. Ah. Or like you see people from church that you're like still friends with on social media or like your friends that still go to church. And you're just like, perhaps I should be doing that. But then you're like, "Mm, no. Better not. No, I'm yeah. way happier now. I think for me, as soon as I left, it was really nice. I was like, oh, I don't have to wake up at you know crack of dawn to mm. go to the church. And then that was lasted for like a couple months. And then I started thinking like, well, I don't know. Should I go back? Like, do I need to? Like, will this really hurt me? And then I started looking again at why I left. And I was like, no, I'm I'm good. So I'm it lasted, right. a, lasted a little, yeah, I'm all right. It lasted a little while, but I do feel like moments of like, I miss certain aspects, but it's like high school. It's like, I, of course I miss certain things about high school, but I don't want to go back. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't have that experience with high school. Really? Like, I'm glad it's done. I didn't have a bad, ex- I actually had a really good high school experience. I just have no desire to go back. I don't miss any right. aspect of it except for not having to pay bills. Well, like, like, well, yeah, but like, I'm like the experiences and like the funness, like with friends and things like the, the like social, game yeah, like the social settings of high school. I miss, I faked my way through all of that. <laughs> That's valid. But like even our friendship, like the things that we experienced yeah, while the, we were the in high things, school. I'm not saying high school, high school that I like, I kept. <laughs> yeah. It's literally true. just you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess so. I don't know, man. My, so my best advice for that is. I think I I talked about it last time, uh, last episode, is you, you got to like come up with coping mechanisms first and foremost, understanding that it is, it's that the ball inside the box situation, mm-hmm. like the button, you shake the box and the ball is going to hit it. Eventually that ball will get smaller. Right. It takes time. It takes you focusing on other things in your life, creating other boxes with other balls inside. Um, but eventually I feel like that kind of, naturally goes away um as you kind of come into yourself you stop relying on the church to be your identity you stop relying on the people that you know there to be your only friends you stop relying on all of that stuff to keep you anchored down and you start finding who you are as a person you start understanding the way that you want other people to see you the way you want to be known in the world and that kind of naturally releases that guilt Obviously, it's still going to be there every now and then. It's still going to hit sometimes. But the more you focus on yourself, the less it's going to bother you. Yeah. Yeah, I think you, you – also, I should we should probably state, if you can afford a therapist, yeah, yeah that may be great. Um, but you should also just 
be observant. And for me, it was this. It's just being reminding myself why I'm no longer in this situation. Why am I, why did I leave in the first place? And it is a lot of the biggest aspect for me, which is what I was getting at was it was the social part of it all. And that can be found in other places. And granted at church, it's easy because you got a room full of people all there for the same purpose, but it's not impossible to find yourself in a situation where you're with group of people for similar purposes and drives and stuff. Yeah. Um, there, there, there are things that for me, I noticed after the series aired last year, there were things that changed for me that I noticed. Like there were less people commenting on my stuff, less people liking my stuff, less people reaching out to me, these different things. And that was super, at the moment it was like, all right, this is what I expected. And, and then it grew into, well, am I just wrong or am I just mm-hmm. not wrong, but like, do I need to reevaluate? Which, I mean, I'm always in that state of reevaluating, but it got to the place where it was just like kind of disheartening because like maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. But then I realized, oh no, that's the toxic <laughs> uh, uh, methodology of good things happen to good people or you're successful because you're a good person. Yeah. And that, that was very much a product of my church upbringing. And so. Um, I say this, and you're kind of alluding to it, but just reevaluating yourself and really dissecting why you're having these thoughts, and which is why I'm recommended a therapist because they can help you guide you through that. Um, but yeah, it's also nice to have like a group of people who have gone through the same things, like Tim and Chris. I can talk shit about it, and we all can talk shit about it together. We all really, understand. Yeah, yeah, it's comforting. It's nice to have people who have been through some of the same things that you have. It's the point of this series. Like genuinely, this is a lot of these thoughts have popped in my head, whether it's about the church, whether it's about politics, whether it's about whatever, what are these topics that we chose? And I was afraid to talk about them. Yeah. I was afraid to question them. I was afraid to, to do those things. And to me, this series is a way of letting people know you can believe the same things when it comes to your Christian faith and still question things. That's okay. Or you can be like me and Chris and Harley. You can, uh, you can dissect and you can tear apart and you can do different things and believe different things. There's a whole wide spectrum. There is no answer to it all. There is no, like you have to end up the certain way if you believe this way. Yeah. yeah. That's, 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 I mean, that's de- childish. Deconstruction and apologetics are two sides of the same coin. It's like, why do I believe what I believe? Deconstruction is like, all right, well, this is what I used to believe, and now I no longer believe that way. Mm-hmm. And apologetics is just like, this is why I believe what I believe, and I'm sticking to it. It's The church pushes apologetics so that you understand what you believe and that you maintain that belief, but it's it's the same coin. Right. You just pick yeah. a side. And it all starts with kind of focusing on why do I believe what I believe. Right. Yeah, there was a, I'm going to see if I can find it real quick. There was a tweet that was really unfortunate um, from uh, Lecrae. You remember Lecrae, the Christian? I do. Mm-hmm. Still um, a good rapper. Yeah. <clears throat> he he went on to this, uh, this thread. He says, a lot of Christians are afraid of deconstruction. I've personally gone through it, and let me give you food for thought. And he immediately, number one, there are two types of deconstruction happening in church. One is healthy, and the other is dangerous. And to me, I was like, already, you're putting it in binary form. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To me, that right there is what I have deemed the most dangerous part about religion, politics, everything, is having to set it up into binary form. It's either this way or that way. There is no gray area. And life in the world is not that way. 
yeah. your deconstruction might lead you right back to the church. It might lead you right back to the similar pews that you found yourself in the first place. But it also might lead you to being a raging atheist. Yeah. <laughs> um, or anywhere in between. It could lead you to a different church. Yeah. It could lead you to a just being religion. a spiritualist. Yeah, and yeah. that was the thing. Was like, there's an awakening of me realizing, oh, there are churches that don't believe all these things, like who are affirming, who believe in like the the real effects of a systemic racism and all these different things, who who speak up against it, like oh these churches exist. Yeah, that was mind blowing to me. Um, yeah. So I don't know where I was going with all that, but just being careful of having that binary mindset of it has to be this way or the other, when life's not that way. Facts. You, right. you evolve and you grow, and evolution doesn't look like that's one that one of the things I've learned about evolution isn't just going from the the sloth to like I don't know if you know this, but the sloth used to be like twenty feet tall. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it didn't just overnight go from a twenty foot thing, powerful beast that could kill a horse in, into the 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 sluggish thing it is, and overnight it didn't happen that way. It t- took time. That was a bad metaphor, but my point is, is that it takes time to evolve into these different things. Yeah, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Thanks. Smell what you're stepping in. Mm, very good. Like sloth, who obviously like poop all over the place and have it all over their fur and stuff. Oh. Yeah, sloths can be gross, <laughs> <laughs> but they're also adorable. They are. They're very dangerous to their own selves. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're just not the brightest animal. <laughs> <laughs> brightest animal in the jungle. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that question, Shane. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, Anyway, thank you, Shane, for the question. Yes. Um, Hopefully that helps. And if not, message us. We'll discuss it further in detail. Yeah. Um, Final thoughts, guys. I'll say first, just because it's in my brain and I want it to disappear. Um, We're we're not experts. Well, Harley's the closest thing to a historical expert than anyone else here. Nor. (laughs) I'm going to reject that. Um, uh, <laughs> so that how, makes me liable. <laughs> um, which is why I want to make sure that if you if you haven't already looked at our show notes, I want to make sure I put in some names and people that I trust, along with our quotations and stuff. Um, but it's important to just trust experts. Like I'm not saying like give your life to them, but like there's a reason why they have PhDs and stuff, and there's a reason why they know what they know. Um, That's always my favorite. <laughs> people on the right. Like, th- I don't trust these oh. doctors, but they know more. <laughs> <laughs> they, yeah, like they, they, they did the research. You uh, trust them for that, that, you know, for that heart surgery, but you don't trust them for the vaccines. <laughs> yeah. Some yeah. People's kids, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, there was, oh, what was the other thing I was going to say? Um, I think I mentioned it just a second ago, but just. We, we, we're not doing this to try to convince you of anything. This is things that we have learned and things that we have gone through. And obviously, there are things that we might be wrong at. I'm, I'm okay with saying that. I'm okay with saying there are things I might be wrong at. Um, but for me, when it comes to fiscal conservatism, when it comes to, <clears throat> excuse me, when it comes to capitalism, um, what I have learned is that it's not binary. It, right. it is not as simple as capitalism is the good guys and communism, socialism is the bad guys. Right. I have learned that our system that we have is not even strictly just capitalism and that the things that we think are good or bad are not as simple as that. There are so many complex layers. And to me is if I want to, like we mentioned earlier, we don't hate this nation, but we want to see it live it up to its standards. Is We want to see equality. And we want to see, as I mentioned from um, Bentley, is 
what I have discovered is that there are so many things that Americans don't realize because they're just blindly taught the other things that there is a wide spectrum of how you can govern your people and how you can take care of one another. Yeah. There are countries, developed nations who are thriving, who can take care of its people with healthcare, who can do affordable housing and they're, they have just as much freedom as we do. And that seems to be like a contradiction in the conservative evangelical culture. I grew up with it. I know. Um, but if you take time to really discuss it and to learn it and to listen to experts about it, you can you can grow and you can learn at least some understanding about the world of politics. Yeah. I think for me, um, I think we just need to burn down the whole system, <laughs> truthfully. Uh, yeah. my, my final thoughts should be the final thoughts of capitalism. <laughs> um Capitalism, Christian nationalism, it's all, it's what our country is running as right now, and it's probably the most detrimental, dangerous thing that we could be doing as far as having a society. And it blows my mind that people don't see that. Like, if you critically think about it for two seconds, why are we paying taxes? For what? (laughs) Right. Just look where it's going. Just look at where your money is going. They tell you. It's there. You just don't look. Right. It's there. It's, it's like all these things. Are, every single time someone asks, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting your final thought, but every single time a person goes, well, where is this money going to come from? It's already there. We have it. Yes. We're paying taxes. You and I, we're paying taxes. Much higher rates than yeah. typically should be we just, for the services we're getting. Let's just choose where it goes better. <laughs> and mm-hmm. say what you want, man. Like Even if you are fully comfortable with the amount of money we spend on the military, like, military contracts can be lessened. Yeah. Like, you could still have all the things and just spend less money doing that. Yeah. Like, that that money can go literally anywhere else. In your experience with your father, were your parents military? My dad was, but not while I was living. Okay. I don't know, you can tell me, too, if you know any stories. But, because from what I've heard from people in the military, was was there, like, an exactly a, I don't know, always conversations of just how money saving the government was the military was oh no no the government wastes so much money like that's what i've always heard from people in the military oh they give out like 15 like 35 50k bonuses if you just enlist yeah well not, like i'm not talking about just that i'm talking about like just that sh- makes sense you got to pay people to sacrifice their lives no no no. i'm talking right. about they still get like a regular salary salary but they're just getting this yeah. random bonus yeah and well, it's like that I understand, but like I saw um one of my one of my friends uh who will remain nameless was telling me that when he was in the military, they spent like a hundred dollars per hardline phone setup. Mm. Like to have a phone, <clears throat> just the physical phone itself, a hundred dollars for a hardline phone mm. when you could go to like Best Buy and get that same model for twenty bucks. Right. Mm. And they were doing this in bulk. Yeah. So they're buying millions of these. And that's my point is in that's why I'm asking you guys because I obviously I don't have any military connection, but every single time I've heard people in the military, friends or acquaintances talk about expenditures, it's always seemed to be in the surplus. Like they always spend more than they have to yeah. or or if they go cheap, it's they go cheap. Like it's it, you can't choose one or the other. Like there's no responsible financial yeah. decision making. There's no way they're spending a small amount of money for something good. Right. It's either if they're spending a small amount of money, it's because it's really bad, 
or if they're spending an exorbitant amount of money, it's because it's all right and they just had the extra money, so they spent it. Yeah, that makes me think of when Hunter was telling me about this um, range shooting practice that they had to do, or like training is the better word, um, and the fake rifles that they had or the gun or whatever. I'm not very versed in gun names, <laughs> um, but they were literally like so cheap, but there was a fuck ton of them. Um <laughs> Because obviously they have to do that for training, but they're so cheap that Hunter literally like fell on his and then like broke the what is it that goes in the shoulder? Oh, the um, where you, oh the stock, yeah, yeah, that he literally just broke it in like half <laughs> and it just was bent and he like tried to put it up on his shoulder and he was like, it's still going. <laughs> and so it's just like they just buy a whole bunch of those, yeah, and like they aren't really any good, but it's like those kinds of things, like right. just random. Yeah. And if it's broken, they have to pay for it. Which and, is and, even and I say all that to say that that's our military, and that's where the bulk of our budget is going. Yeah. And you can't tell me that we can't figure things out to put some of that towards healthcare, towards yeah. housing, towards whatever. Or even like minimum leaving, wage. Leaving the military completely alone, tax the corporations, tax the, the uber mm-hmm. wealthy the right amount of money that they're supposed to be taxed, tax yeah. the churches. Like all of that stuff can be used to better society. Yeah. Not just the individual people. Yeah. People. And that too, but. Like, I pay more rich. in taxes per year than Trump does. There's Oof. no way I should. Right. Oof. And you can't give me a justification for that. Yep. Sorry, um, I didn't mean to hijack your. No, you, that was, was a good point. That, that was it. That was it needed that's to be said. what needed to be said. That's my final thought. Um, I think my final thought is that um, if you want to have a Christian nation, maybe you should act more like Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and clearly that's not what is being done right now. And it's really freaking annoying. There you go. Indeed. Chris, you want to close yep. this up? I think we are just about done here, guys. Um, look, deconstruction is hard. I, I understand that. And this is a topic that probably isn't too much fun for a lot of people to talk <laughs> about. But... It's important that we have these conversations. It's important that we go over all of these definitions and these different options and different points of view because that's what this podcast is all about is understanding further, understanding more, and having those conversations. So that's why we do this for you guys. Um, We just want to say that we love you. We're proud of you. Even if you're not proud of yourself, we're proud of you. Hey, that's good. And we hope you come back for some more. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Till next time. <laughs>